Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Alpine Church. It's great to see you guys here this morning. It's great to worship with you. And I just want to say again, if it happens to be your first time with us, thank you so much for checking us out. We hope that you feel right at home today, and really, it's, it's our hope that we can help you pursue God today. Uh, my name is John Bellis. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor up at the Alpine Logan campus, but then I also get the opportunity to teach at other Alpine campuses about once every month. Uh, and I'm excited to be back in West Haven. It feels like it's been a long time since I've had the opportunity to teach here. So I'm really looking forward to digging into God's Word with you guys this morning. And today we're in the second week of our sermon series called Anxious for Nothing. Last week we kicked off this sermon series by talking about the secret to overcoming anxiety. In fact, last week we looked at kind of the cycle of anxiety, and then we contrasted that with the peace cycle. And I just want to remind you, if you miss that, or if you miss any of the sermons in this series, you can always go back and catch up on them at PursueGod.org slash anxious. You'll see that full series on there. And I hope that this last week, you've actually been able to put into practice the steps of the peace cycle that we talked about. Step number one was overthrowing anxiety. Number two was replacing it with prayer. Three was verbalizing your needs. And then number four was offering up thanksgiving. I think that's one of the great things about this series is God gives us very practical steps on how to deal with anxiety. He doesn't just say, well, good luck. Go figure it out. There are things in His Word that we can look to. There are habits that we can build to give us victory in this. And I hope that's encouraging to you. I know it's encouraging to me. Because this is something that we all struggle with. Maybe some of us more than others, but all of us, because we live in a fallen world, at one time or another, we're going to deal with anxiety. How many of you felt anxiety just getting here this morning? Right? Maybe the kids are really acting up and you're like, man... Am I a good parent? You know, is this going to get harder as they get older? It does. <laughs> Just tell you. <laughs> or maybe on the way out of the house, you, you saw that credit card statement or some other bill on the counter, and, and you're in a financial situation right now that's causing you anxiety. Maybe you've been praying about whether or not you should take on a serving role here at the church, but you're not sure if you're equipped, and so that's creating some anxiety. Or maybe you just heard that, I was going to be given the message today, and that's reason enough for anxiety, right? But whatever the trigger is for you, it's something that we all battle with from time to time. Now, last week, we kicked off by kind of giving an, an opening definition of anxiety. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So that's going to be our working definition through the series. But today... I want to add one more phrase to that definition. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome that you can't control. That's really the heart of the issue most of the time, isn't it? The reason we're uneasy, the reason the outcome is uncertain is because we don't control it. And this hit me especially hard this week as I was preparing for this message. Because as a team, when we were first talking about this series and we were kind of outlining what it might look like to do a series on anxiety, I, I was thinking, I don't actually struggle with anxiety. I've never had a panic attack. 
I don't ever have trouble sleeping. I don't have any issues with my appetite. And so I started going to God and asking God, like, God, would you reveal in me, are, am I struggling with this maybe more than I think I am? Are there areas in my life where I have anxiety? And God revealed to me that actually the way I tend to, to cope with anxiety is I mask it with frustration and anger. So, for example, I can't watch the news, any station, without getting fighting mad. I watch the news and it just, it just gets me aggravated and agitated. I feel like we're living in a bizarro world. Like, does anybody else just feel like, what is going on here? And, and so what I realize is that one of the reasons I get so frustrated and so angry is because my kids are growing up in this culture that's going crazy. And it's going to be tougher on them than it was on me. And there's not really anything I can do about it. I don't really have a lot of control over it, and it causes me anxiety. Maybe you can relate. So today we're going to focus on the anxiety that we experience because we can't control it or control freak anxiety. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're a control freak because if you are, you're thinking, well, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm in control of this situation, right? (laughs) But here's the first thing that's going to help us overcome control freak anxiety. Control is just an illusion, and that's why control freaks get so anxious. See, the reality is we're not in control even when we think we are. There is very little going on in this world that you actually have control over. You might like to think you do, but you don't. And I would imagine this is even more difficult for us than it was in Jesus' day. This is even a a bigger temptation in our generation because look at all that we have access to, all the technological advances that make us think we have control. You and I can just walk into a room and flip a switch and there is light. Right? It's almost like we're our own little G-gods that we can just create light. We have all this data at our fingertips We can track where our kids are going through our phone. We can look up all kinds of information. We can ask Siri to tell us almost anything we want to know in an instant. We actually turned our clocks back an hour last night because we think that somehow gives us control over what time it actually is. We are a disillusioned people. And we don't just do it to the things going on around us. We do it to the things happening to us or even within us. We we step on a scale every morning. We take medications and vitamins and supplements because we think we control our health. We go to the gym or we walk or we run. Whatever we do to keep our heart healthy. And listen, those things aren't bad. Those things are all good. And they certainly can contribute to a healthy body, to a healthy lifestyle, but you can do all those things and still develop cancer tomorrow. You can be in tip-top physical shape and still have a heart attack. Some of you are like, wow, thanks for the pep talk, Pastor John. <laughs> You're like a ray of sunshine in here this morning. <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't say that to be a, a Debbie Downer or to scare you. Again, we should do all those things. The Bible encourages those things. We should exercise. We should eat well. We should plan ahead. We should be disciplined. But in doing those things, we need to make sure we have the right balance that we understand that we are not in control. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because of who is in control. God is in control. The one who is in control is good. 
He's faithful. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. His credentials are much more impressive than yours and mine. And he's doing a much better job than we would. It's actually so freeing. And it releases so much anxiety when you give up control. When you recognize that God is in control because of his character. Just that one step, I promise you, will release anxiety. King Solomon was the wisest man on the earth in his time. And one of the reasons he was so wise is he didn't fall for the illusion of control. He knew who was in control. I'm read just a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 16:9. Solomon says, We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Proverbs 19:21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. And it wasn't just Solomon. Jesus talked about the illusion of control. He talked about how fruitless worry and anxiety were. In Luke chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, he says, Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Jesus said, you can't accomplish a little thing like adding a single moment to your life because you're not in control. And so since you're not in control, why worry about it? Why let anxiety have a place in your life? You know, last week we spent a lot of time in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. If that's a verse you've never memorized, I would really encourage you during this series, commit those verses to memory. I think you'll find it very beneficial as you go through life. And today we're going to back up just two verses and spend a lot of our time in Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Guys, this is a command that God gave us. That the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write that we are supposed to be full of joy. That we're supposed to be joyful all the time. Is he serious? Yes. We're supposed to be joyful all the time. Now, does that mean we're supposed to be happy all the time? No. Joy and happiness are two different things. It doesn't mean that we have to put a smile on our face in every circumstance. We don't have to fake it until we make it. We can be honest about the hard things in life. We can experience grief, anger, frustration. Jesus experienced all those emotions, and he never sinned. But even in the difficult situations, you and I can experience a joy. We can experience a joy because we know who's in control. We can experience a joy because we know that these difficult experiences have been allowed to happen by a God who loves us, by a God who has filtered them through his loving hands, by a God who is good. And in case you're tempted to think, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor John, you don't know what I'm dealing with, or that's easy for Paul to say. Do you know the context of when Paul wrote Philippians? He was sitting in a Roman prison cell. He had been unjustly arrested and imprisoned. His life hung in the balance. At this point, he didn't know if he was going to be set free or if he was going to be martyred for his faith. If anyone had reason to have anxiety, it would have been the Apostle Paul in that situation. 
But you know, in the letter of Philippians, he talks about joy or rejoicing 11 times. You'll find it in every single chapter in the book. And Paul wasn't rejoicing because he was in jail. He wasn't rejoicing because he might lose his life. He was rejoicing because he knew God was in control. He was rejoicing in the Lord. Paul then says in this verse, to let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. The original Greek word that's translated considerate there is epiakia. And in other places, you'll see it's translated as gentleness or, or mildness or yieldingness or the unwillingness to litigate or contend. The heart behind that word is that it describes a person who lets God fight their battles. It's a person who doesn't have to contend because they know who's in control. Because they know that God fights for them. And so they're free to let all of their anxieties go. They're free to let that weight fall off their shoulder because they know that God is contending for them. So I just want to encourage you, if you're holding on tightly, if you're trying to control everything, loosen that grip. Loosen that grip and let God contend for you. Let the almighty God of the universe fight those battles that you're dealing with. And I think when you do that, you're going to see that joy will start to replace anxiety and worry. That's going to bring us to our second point. That's that anxiety is a wake-up call, a thorn in the flesh to remind us of our dependence on God. You know, it's interesting, as with so many things in our lives that are hard in the time, the enemy means them for evil, but God often uses them for our good. And God can use your anxiety to draw you closer to Him. God can use your anxiety to help you recognize your dependence on Him, because when things are going well, when things are easy, often we forget just how dependent on God we really are. So God sometimes will use anxiety to draw us back to Himself, the Apostle Paul saw that. Let's take a look at another passage for him. This is 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now we don't know for sure what Paul's thorn was. We think it was probably a health issue. Some scholars think that maybe he was losing his eyesight. There's nothing in the passage that says his thorn was anxiety, but the application is the same nonetheless. And whatever the thorn was, it wasn't a minor issue. In fact, the original word that's translated thorn means a tent stake. Like, that's a big thorn. <laughs> this is a big deal, whatever Paul was dealing with. And it says that he begged the Lord three different times that God would take it away. And, and really, it doesn't mean that he just prayed it three times, but more three seasons of time he prayed and he begged that God would remove this thorn. These were earnest, passionate prayers by the Apostle Paul to take this thorn away, but God didn't. But eventually Paul began to recognize this thorn was actually a gift. 
In fact, in the verse, it doesn't say that I was inflicted or afflicted with a thorn, which is typically the language you would see if it was punishment or if it was a hardship. No, it says I was given a thorn. Paul actually recognized that this was a gift. It was something that God used to keep him from becoming proud. It was something that God used to draw him to himself. I would imagine some of you have had experiences in your life where you can relate to that. I know that I have. I remember back in my early 20s, I was in sales and recruiting. And I recruited a network of about 400 financial services professionals from around the country. And we got involved in some very high-risk, high-yield investment programs. I was 23 years old, and I had this big network of financial professionals, and millions and millions of dollars were coming through this little consulting firm that I worked with in Logan. And for the first two years, everything was great. I thought I had the world by the tail. I was making a pretty significant six-figure income. I had all these people answering to me around the country, and I thought I was all that and a bag of chips. (laughs) I thought I was pretty hot stuff. And then some things changed. The market changed. Some regulatory issues changed. There was mismanagement in some of these investment programs, and one by one, all of them except for one started to tank. And it doesn't matter if you tell people it's high risk or not. When they start losing their money, they get mad. And every single day, I would go in and field dozens of phone calls from angry investors, angry brokers, angry agents, literally 40, 50, 60 phone calls a day. That's what I did every day for two years. Eventually, I was flying around the country going to bankruptcy meetings and receivership procedures. And every night, I prayed, God, turn this around. God, please deliver me from this. God, please take me out of this. And he never did. And I didn't look at it as a gift back then. I can promise you that. But I look back on it now and I realize that was a gift. Who knows what would have happened if God wouldn't have reminded me of his dependence at 23 years old. Who knows how proud and materialistic I would have become if God wouldn't have taken me through that. I learned two things two things through that season in my life. Number one, I have an amazing wife. <laughs> she stood by me through thick and thin, never batted an eye. And number two, God's strength is truly made perfect in our weakness. There were days and days and days that I didn't think I could go to work, and I would just lay before the Lord and say, God, give me strength. And he always did. He was always faithful. He strengthened me, he encouraged me, and he empowered me to get through that time. See, Paul understood that God's power works best in weakness because we look to receive it. We don't try and do it on our own power when we know that we're weak. And he got to the point where he would boast about his weaknesses. Can you imagine what that would do to the anxiety level in your life if instead of fretting and worrying over your weaknesses, you began to boast about them? You began to say, that's okay. I may be weak here, but God is strong. God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. Wouldn't that give you more peace? I promise you it would. Paul goes on to say that he takes pleasures in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that he suffers for Christ. He never says that he takes pleasure in every hardship or in every suffering. He says he takes pleasures in the ones that he suffers for Christ. Again, we're called to be joyful in every situation. We're not called to take pleasure in every situation. 
But Paul says, I took pleasure in those things that I suffered for Christ. So don't let areas where you feel weak cause you to be anxious. But instead, recognize those as opportunities for God's strength to be made powerful in your life. And that's going to bring us up to our next point. That through all of the unexpected ups and downs, God is still on the throne of our lives. See, one of the benefits of recognizing that you're not in control is that when the unexpected does happen, it doesn't rattle you as much. You actually begin to make allowances for the unexpected because you know you're not in control. See, as a control freak, the unexpected can be devastating, can it? It messes up your plans. It's not the picture you had drawn, and now you're trying to get your hands back around it and get it back in the lane that you had envisioned. I'm so grateful that God is all-knowing. I'm so grateful that nothing ever catches him off guard. Nothing is ever a surprise to him. When I was in high school and I got the news that we were going to be moving from the little town in Florida that I had spent every day of my life in and moving to Utah, that was a shocker for me. It wasn't for God. When my wife and I had a child with special needs, we were not expecting that at all. God was. When my mom died in a car crash a few years ago, none of us saw that coming, but he did. See, God did. God is on the throne in all the ups and downs of your life. God is right there. And sometimes he's gracious enough to give us a reminder of that. That's what he did for the prophet Isaiah. We read about in Isaiah 6.1. It says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, to understand why this is such an important and reassuring vision for Isaiah, we have to know a little bit about what was going on at the time. The verse says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. So Uzziah was a king after the nation of Israel had split into a northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And Uzziah was a king of Judah. And he served as a king for 52 years. He started when he was 16 years old, and he was on the throne for 52 years, and he was a good king. The Bible says that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He led Judah to victories over the Philistines and over neighboring countries. In 2 Chronicles 26.8, it tells us that his fame spread as far as the entrance to Egypt because he became exceedingly strong. So 52 years of good leadership. But then, unfortunately, things didn't end well for Uzziah. Towards the end of his reign, he became very prideful. In fact, he went into the temple of God and he burned incense before God, which is something only the priests were permitted to do. And so God struck him with leprosy. And he actually died as an isolated leper. So Isaiah had reason to be discouraged. Isaiah had reason to be anxious Judah had just lost this king that had served them well for over 50 years, and he ended a pretty in a pretty tragic way as an isolated leopard. And so Isaiah is asking, God, where are you in this? Where is God when these things are happening, when these things that don't make sense to us are going on? And God gives him a vision so that Isaiah can see is that God is where he always is, that the Almighty God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, is right on the throne. And nothing is happening that he doesn't allow to happen. See, I don't know what everybody in here is going through right now. 
I know in a room this size, some of you are going through some really tough things. And I don't want to minimize them. They're really hard. And I can't even promise you how they're going to turn out. But I can promise you this. God is on the throne. He's in control. And you can trust him. Because he's good and because he cares for you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It kind of became my, my life verse about 25 years ago. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all you do and He will make straight your path. See, when I lean on my own understanding, I try to take control. The answer isn't to lean on my own understanding. The answer is to trust in God and He will make my path straight. There's something peaceful about a straight path. Right? For any of you that like to hike or get out in the mountains, it may be steep, it may be rocky, but if you're on the path, you know it goes somewhere. In our relationship with God, we not only know where it's going, we know who it's going to, to a good God who cares for us. I know who's leading me. So what is our practical response if we find that we're still dealing with anxiety? How can we step through this? How can we ask God to, to help us develop some of those habits and some of those steps to give us victory like we talked about last week? Well, I think one practical response to control freak anxiety is to rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. We praise Him for who He is, for His character, for what He's done for each and every single one of us. We praise Him for being on the throne and for being in control. And, and we can do that through our prayer time. It may be helpful to even journal it, to write down praises to God, to write down His faithfulness. We can do it by listening to praise and worship music. There's multiple ways that we can do it. I want to go back and look at that first passage we looked at again one more time. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. And then this last phrase, remember the Lord is coming soon. Paul ended verse 5 with remember the Lord is coming soon. This was an encouragement to the early church. So the early church was in a, in a tough spot. They were going through some pretty intense persecution. They were stuck in the middle. They were being kind of hammered on by the Jews who didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah and also the Romans who were encouraging emperor worship. And here they are. They're stuck in the middle. And they have financial pressure on them. And they face physical harm. And they're losing relationships because of all of this. And Paul says, remember, the Lord is coming soon. Hang in there, guys. In the grand scheme of eternity, you only have to hang on just a little bit longer because the Lord is coming soon. I want to end today by speaking to those of you who hear that phrase, the Lord is coming soon, and you would say, that gives me anxiety. That doesn't give me comfort, Pastor John, that the Lord is coming soon. There are things that I want to finish, things I want to accomplish, and if I'm being honest, I'm not sure that I'm ready to meet the Lord I need more time to make amends. I need more time to go back and fix some of the things that I've broken. Well, if that's your response, I would love to introduce you to the Prince of Peace. That's one of the names of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Because He is the only way that you and I can have peace with a perfect, righteous, and holy God. See, we don't need more time. 
No amount of time will give you the opportunity to make amends for what you've done. You don't need more time. You need a Savior. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be our Savior. He came and He lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And then He went to the cross. And He bore the guilt that we should have borne. He took our shame, our guilt. He paid the price that we should have paid. And the Bible says when we put our faith in Him and we trust in what He did and when we say, I'm broken, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and I trust that you are that Savior, that something amazing happens, that that we can actually have peace with Almighty God. And if you have questions about how to do that or what your next step would be, I would love to have that conversation with you after the service. I'm sure the person who invited you here today would love to have that conversation. For those of us who've already done that, I really pray that this week would fill our week with rejoicing in the Prince of Peace. And as we do that, we're going to experience that anxiety just melting away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our Prince of Peace. God, I look around in our, in our culture and I just feel like, honestly, there's very little peace in the world right now. And that shouldn't surprise us because we can't have peace without Jesus. If we don't have peace with our Creator, we're not going to have peace with the rest of creation. There's going to be turmoil. There's going to be division. There's going to be resentment. So God, I just want to lift up anyone here today who doesn't have peace with you, who who would say the Lord is coming soon, doesn't give me peace. It, It gives me anxiety. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would just open up their heart to you, that they would trust in what Jesus did for them, that they would be able to have that peace. God, for those of us who already have it, when we face tough things this week, when we recognize we're not in control, I pray that that wouldn't create anxiety, that that would create joy. Because we'd remember that you are in control, and you are faithful, and you are good. And it's because of that that we we lift your name high. We praise you. We rejoice in you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.